everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. The purpose of this passion project, again, was for me to share my thoughts and feelings, as well as offering a hopefully in-depth recap of each episode, as I watch this beloved TV series for the very first time. And as to be expected, there were most likely going to be a few things that, of course, did not age well in its time. And just to give everyone a heads up, this episode is definitely at the top. I can see how there is not a love for the God Sister episode where Carrie takes center stage. But here, Halloween dream is no dream, but a nightmare. And no... We are not doing rating and reviewing of the episode in the beginning. I just wanted to go ahead and give everyone a heads up. This episode just might go ahead and hit some sensibilities. But I have made that promise of every episode. Full recaps. So sit back and enjoy not the right word. Unfortunately, it's just the first word that comes to mind. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Halloween Dream and debuted on October 29th, 1979. And the episode was written and directed by Michael Landon. We begin with a close-up shot of water rushing in Plum Creek. The camera moves up to reveal Charles Carrie and our first jack-o'-lantern in the prairie verse. P.S. It's a very nice looking pumpkin. Charles slaps that pumpkin along the side and asks out loud, how does it look? Carrie responds with, uh, kind of scary. Charles takes this moment to explain what a rhetorical question is. Just kidding. He tells Carrie it's supposed to be kind of scary. It's what Halloween's all about. And in case you needed another reason not to like Carrie, she flat out states, I don't like Halloween. Blasphemy. She continues to Carrie explain that things can eat you up when you're asleep. Little does she know, there are plenty of things that will eat her up when she's awake, too. Or at least, this is what she's been told from Laura and Albert. Charles LOLs and says it's all in good spirits with dressing up, just like Laura and Albert are currently doing inside the house. Charles is very curious to know what those costumes are. Charles then suggests for Carrie to be the new firebug in the family and place the candle inside the pumpkin. And inside the little house... Oh boy... Laura and Albert have decided to dress up as somebody else's culture for Halloween. Caroline comes out to inform us baby Grace is currently asleep as Laura continues to pin a headdress made of chicken feathers onto Albert, proclaiming they are sure to win first prize at Nellie's Halloween costume party. FYI, buckle up everyone, it doesn't get any better from here. At this moment, Caroline informs Laura and Albert when they are done with their current activity 
she would like them to head upstairs to take a nap, since they'll be staying out later than usual. And in a very mom way, Caroline states, you'll thank me later. With their outfits completed, Albert compliments Laura's work. We're definitely going to win first prize at the contest. They take a moment to inquire Caroline's opinion. And Caroline, she offers, well, you look like either a very small chief or a very large chicken. Caroline knows when to sneak in a nice read here. The two head outside where Charles echoes the exact same thoughts Caroline just shared. Carrie looks at them and says they look good. I'm happy you're not ghost. Apparently, Laura and Albert told Carrie that ghosts will come into your house and eat your mouth off so you can't yell for help. Everyone's working really hard to conceal their laughter, and Carrie is sent inside so Charles and Caroline can have a word with Laura and Albert. Inside, Carrie believes she's getting the last laugh, but is then confronted by a spectral apparition. Carrie flees the house, most likely to go to the outhouse, and this ghost Carrie sees, of course, is baby Grace covered in a sheet, waking up from her nap. And wow, baby Grace has had a major growth spurt. We cut to, just a little while later, Laura's up in the loft asleep, and Albert is sitting up reading. About what, you might ask? Something called Massacre at Stony Pass. Underneath that chapter title are the names Kiowa and Comanche. As Albert flips the page, we are then given an image of Sitting Bull, and he continues to flip those pages until he falls asleep. And in dreams, we begin. And what does the dream show us? It begins with a fire. And the camera moves up to reveal a group of Native Americans taking turns passing around a pipe. It should be noted, three of the men in the group are dressed with a headdress. Once the final member of the group places the pipe down, the closed captions refer to him as Chief. And he informs us how they have waited and suffered long enough, and the time to strike is now. On the other side of the fire, the closed captions refer to the next person to speak as Sly Fox. And he informs us that they are currently waiting for the son of Running Bull to arrive at their camp with the next full moon, which apparently is that night. We're also informed that the son of Running Bull is arriving with an arsenal that was stolen from the Bluecoats. And by having this supply of weapons, this will lead them to a victory. From there, we cut to Laura and Albert en route to, they say Nellie's party, but this area is not Walnut Grove. And since they're still heading to Nellie's, they are still in those outfits. It's at this moment, Albert points over there and facepalm. He's upset because there are other people who stole his costume idea. As this group approaches Laura and Albert, they instruct the two of them to follow them. 
And Laura, looking at this group, mentions how these people look a little old for a party. And according to Albert, Harriet had invited all the eligible bachelors in the area. And it did seem inevitable. But this is when Laura announces to Albert that he looks more like an authentic Native American than these other people on horses. Laura and Albert follow the group for a little while, complaining a little bit on how they're going the long way to get to Nellie's party. And then it finally dawns on them when they arrive at the camp. And Albert states, uh, does this look like Nellie's party to you? The man, the closed captions identified as Chief, comes forward and misidentifies Albert as the son of Running Bull. And when Albert tries to correct him, Laura tells him to shut up. We're safe as long as they think you're the son of Running Bull. At which point, Albert turns to the group and replies with an ugh, which is 100% my feelings about this story. From there, we cut to Plum Creek, and Jonathan Garvey is arriving with a Commander Kaiser. Not so say, just Kaiser. And he informs the Ingalls that there is a gathering of Native Americans near Walnut Grove. We're also informed some of the no-shoot nations are also involved. Charles tells us this is strange because we haven't had trouble with no-shoot nations for years. At which point, Commander Kaiser says they are now being influenced by other nations. And not only that, the son of Running Bull is on his way too. Commander Kaiser also informs us they are setting up a hub for defense in the town of Stony Pass, which apparently is not too far away from Walnut Grove. Charles, however, is concerned about Laura and Albert. Jonathan Garvey takes a moment to assure him those two are most likely also on their way to Stony Pass, because troops have been sent to every house in Walnut Grove. And hearing the developments, Caroline works on getting Carrie and baby Grace ready to go. Back out at the camp, Albert and Laura have been given their own teepee. And for once, Albert is not sure what to do in this situation. And Laura decides to state the obvious, that they need to sneak out and escape. Albert shoots down that idea and tells them there are too many people for them to simply walk out. At which point, Albert decides to walk around the interior of that tent, and, oh gosh. Albert pauses a second right next to a pole, which happens to have a collection of organic hair pieces hanging from it. Upon realizing what he is seeing, Albert screams. Laura inquires what's the issue, and this is when Albert calls her knothead, explaining what he is looking at. Laura dry heaves. At this moment, the men with headdresses enter the tent. We are then introduced to Chief Kilowatt of the Lightfoot tribe, who proceeds to introduce the rest of the members of the council. Sly Fox, who we've already met, and Big Wolf, the third man in a headdress, and we are informed this is the tribe council. 
Chief Kilowatt then introduces Albert as Son of Running Bull and Laura as Knothead. The group takes a seat. They pass the pipe around the entire circle, then proceed to ask Albert, where's the weapon cache? And completely out of character, Albert is a lost for words. Knothead, I mean Laura, then blurts out the weapons will arrive in two days which gives them plenty of time to discuss a plan of action. And that first step is information gathering, recon. They are going to head out tomorrow to look at Stony Pass and check out the surrounding area. But now it's time to eat. The council gets up and leaves Albert and Knothead in the tent. They look at one another and decide they must find a way to escape and warn Stony Pass. At that moment, two girls, about the same age as Laura and Albert, enter the tent with plates of food. One of them introduces herself as Tanya, and as Laura tries to introduce herself, Tanya interrupts, I know who you are. You are Knothead. The other girl introduces herself as Tiny Pebbles, and she giggles a lot as she's handing Albert his plate. The two girls leave the tent, and Albert makes a rude comment. Eh, let's just call it what it is. Fat shames tiny pebbles. Knothead sticks her head outside the tent, comes back in, and says there is no chance of escape. They might as well head to bed. They're going to need all their sleep for tomorrow. Albert, in the meantime, has been shoving his face full of the food that was on the plate and commenting how he is so hungry he could eat a horse, leading to Laura proclaiming that he currently is. We cut to Stony Pass, and the blue collars, coats, are arriving in town. Inside our main building of operations, we find Charles, who shares the intel that Laura and Albert never showed up at Nellie's, despite this whole place being nowhere near Walnut Grove. Charles is desperate to locate his children, but Commander Kaiser is refusing Charles permission to go find them. Charles, defiant, says he's going to head out anyway, until he is shown to his quarters. <sighs> Thank goodness we are out of the dream for a moment. Caroline is coming down from the loft, informing us how Laura and Albert are still asleep. She continues by mentioning how these kids are going to have nothing but cake and candy for dinner. Caroline then mentions how proud she is of Laura for the effort she's put into the costumes, and Charles mentions how those costumes look cute, and he hopes they win a prize. Oh, goodness. Of course, unfortunately, we have to find ourselves back in Albert's dream. We find ourselves with that recon team in the distance, looking in, at Stony Pass. We also find out in this moment, Stony Pass is the final line of defense before Walnut Grove. We cut from outside of Stony Pass to inside Stony Pass as a soldier is arriving, running up the stairs, announcing that he's spotted the recon party. Commander Kaiser, with Charles at his side, they head up and out onto a deck to look through Kaiser's telescope. And when Charles gets his turn, he immediately identifies Laura and Albert. Um, can I get a horse and a white flag? 
Um, those are my kids out there. Charles receives what he asked for and rides out with that white flag in hand. Back with the recon party, Knothead sees the white flag and the man who's holding it. That's Pa! Sly Fox inquires what it is Knothead just said, and Albert, face palm, completely makes up a word and gives it its own definition. Sly Fox then makes the command that somebody shoot the approaching white flag. Albert tries to defuse the situation, but Sly Fox says this white flag is a white man's trick. But out of the mouth of Chief Kilowatt, he announces, that's no white man, that's Charles Ingalls. He's a friend of my father's. He's a good man. Sly Fox, no such thing. But it is decided to let Charles approach. It's an awkward moment of silence as Charles gets closer and makes the request to speak with Son of Running Bowl. Sly Fox tells him that's not going to happen. There's not much of an exchange before the recon team turns and heads back to their camp, and Charles heads back to Stony Pass. It's evening time. We're back at the camp out. Albert and Knothead are trying to plan a way to prevent this attack from happening. Plus, they're now both concerned that the real son of Sitting Bull might show up with those promised rifles that are supposed to show up tomorrow. Little Pebbles and Tanya enter with more plates of food. Little Pebbles is infatuated with Albert. And Tanya? She makes a comment on Knothead's strange hair color. P.S. Laura tells Albert Tanya thinks Laura is a boy. And finally, Albert comes with an idea of how they can get out of the camp. And what's his idea, dear listeners? They bound and gag Little Pebbles and Tanya, cover themselves with blankets, and proceed to giggle their way out of camp, get on horses, and bolt. We cut back to Stony Pass. Commander Kaiser is informing us if those repeating rifles are delivered, Stony Pass is lost. Charles, all he can think about are his children, and he announces how he wants to head into the camp and take his children. However, Commander Kaiser says there's only enough men to watch and protect this town. The conversation, thankfully, is interrupted when Laura and Albert are escorted inside. And, well, let's say Commander Kaiser is not a brave man because he proceeds to grab his bugle and dive under his desk to sound an alarm. There's an eye roll from Charles when he announces, Those are my children. Recomposing himself, Commander Kaiser apologizes and says, Those costumes are realistic. His words, not mine. Introductions are made and food is brought out. Albert, in this moment, shares the intel they have. How they believe Albert to be son of Sitting Bull and Laura is not head and how everyone is still waiting for those repeating rifles. Commander Kaiser announces if the real son of Running Bull shows up, there's no stopping him. And this is when Albert comes up with the idea to sneak back into camp and inform everyone's the rifles have been captured. 
And while Charles is reluctant and disapproving of this idea, Commander Kaiser says, oh, you think you could do that? And is 100% on board with this idea. Charles, repeating a thought Albert and Nodhead had earlier, what if the real son of Running Bull shows up? Albert and Laura shrug their shoulders and say it's a chance they're willing to take. And truth, I think sooner or later, somebody would have discovered little pebbles and Tanya tied up at camp. Laura leads the way. Albert is following behind, stops at a plate of food, announces how hungry he is, and they head off. We get a quick shot of the real world, where Albert is still napping, before we are back in his dream, where him and Nothead are getting off their horses and trying to get back in their tent. They are greeted by a crowd who proceed to ask where that wagon of guns are. Unknowing to Albert, as he starts to lie, Laura notices a certain wagon with a certain rifle stockpile inside and takes the time to interrupt Albert, who is still delivering alternative facts. And, oh, goodness, we are then introduced to the real son of Running Bull, who doesn't really speak, but more or less seems to just scream, as well as swinging a weapon. And in the next scene, I'm just going to say it, Laura and Albert are crucified. I'm not kidding. As Laura and Albert contemplate what's about to happen, Laura takes this time, this moment, to make this all about herself. We wouldn't be here if I hadn't made these outfits. Which, for once, I think she's absolutely correct. However, Albert shifts the blame and puts it on Nellie and says it was her party they were planning for. At which point, Laura confesses, oh yeah, this is all Nellie's fault. In his situation, Albert wishes he could get those guns. And as he starts to lean forward, he notices his post is a little loose. And working himself back, back, forth, and forth, as well as side to side, Albert manages to break that post. And seeing her brother free, Laura gets Albert to untie her hand, and with her one free hand proceeds to free herself from that cross. We're just going to call it what it is. It's not a pole. It's not a post. It is two beams at a perpendicular angle. It's a cross. But like I said, once Laura is freed, she bolts towards that wagon with Albert trailing behind her, still attached to that cross. And somehow, Albert manages to get into the wagon, and Laura gets in beside him. P.S. The entire camp is witnessing this, and they give chase. And with Laura at the reins, and Albert essentially at the mast, they make their way to Stony Pass. Albert mentions how slow they're going and how the wagon needs to lose some weight. We get a quick shot of Stony Pass and everyone on guard until we're back with Laura and Albert. And this is when Laura announces she has a great idea, which receives a it can't be worse than any of your other ideas from Albert. And what's her idea, dear listeners? Well, first, she proceeds to hand the reins over to Albert, who's still tied, crucified, 
like his savior. She then crawls into the back, busts open one of those crates, finds ammunition, and tosses a barrel of gunpowder out the back. And in this dream, Laura is an expert marksman. And we get explosion number one. Albert, in his panic state, and still crucified and driving those horses, eventually faints. And back at Stony Pass, Charles is speculating that something has gone wrong. You know, like this entire episode. Charles is reassured by Commander Kaiser all they need to do is wait and hope, which is really the same level of thoughts and prayers. And while Charles admits how Laura and Albert shouldn't have gone, Commander Kaiser calls the pair brave and that Charles should be proud. Back at the chase, Albert is still unconscious and Laura is still tossing barrels of gunpowder and demonstrating expert marksmanship. Almost missing one barrel, Laura yells to Albert to steer better and boasts how she has spooked them. And this chase goes on for a while. Back in Stony Pass, I'm just going to mention they have a saloon and casino, and there's nothing but waiting happening. Charles can't sit still, and it's at this time Commander Kaiser promises he won't try to stop Charles this time, and even grants Charles' request for a rifle. And that's when they hear sounds of explosions. Commander Kaiser, once again with Charles by his side, head up to the deck and look out through his telescope, and he announces, It's your children with a wagon full of rifles. He then proceeds to order everyone to prepare for attack. As Laura is arriving in town, she is unaware Albert is still unconscious. Ooh, P.S. Stony Pass also has a theater slash playhouse. And we proceed to get a tour of Stony Pass due to Albert being unconscious at the reins, making them go in a giant circle. And as this chase tour is happening between with Laura and Albert and the preceding group of Native Americans, this is when the cavalry then shows up and also gets into the mix, resulting in a giant game of chase or ring around Stony Pass. Eventually, the group of Native Americans leave and Son of Running Bull is humiliated and the town is saved. Laura and Albert are recognized for their brave act of stealing back the rifles, and Commander Kaiser salutes the two of them. As Albert is taken off the cross, finally, Charles proceeds to try to wake him up. And this is when Dream Charles gives way to Real World Charles, waking Albert up for this party. Albert sits up and states, oh, It was only a dream. Cut to Albert and Laura on horseback, just like in their dream, but this time in the real Walnut Grove area. And as Albert starts to retell the episode, he stops and notices three people dressed just like him in the distance. And Albert, not wanting to live through his dream, turns around and heads back to Plum Creek. Meanwhile, Laura's left there and says hi to Willie, who is one of the three party attendees on horses. 
Headington and Ellie's party. Willie, dressed as the son of Running Bull, inquires why Albert is upset. And Laura says Albert's upset because he's not the only one dressed up as a Native American. But giving herself credit, admits Albert's costume still could have won the costume contest. Do you know what happens when you type in the words Stony Pass Massacre? It redirects you to an event known as the Sand Creek Massacre. There's a Smithsonian Magazine article dated from 2014 that also announces the creation of the Sand Creek Massacre National Historical Site in Colorado. And if you want some reading, I wouldn't say it's light, check out the Sand Creek Massacre Foundation.org, as well as the National Park Services, npr.gov, link to that historical site. And with that, let's finally get to reviewing and rating this episode. Let's just rip the band-aid right off. This episode is a product of its time. Years before the My Culture is Not a Costume campaign and cultural appropriation hadn't really made its way into the mainstream vernacular, this was given a pass. So I'm trying to approach this through that lens, but everyone in this episode somehow manages to complement these costumes. From Charles and Caroline in the real world complimenting these costumes to that dream world where they not only fooled Commander Kaiser, but it's also made clearly because of these costumes Laura made that they were mistaken to be real Native Americans by the Native Americans that were portrayed in the show. Apparently these costumes Laura made are so good, they, they hide the fact that she's a girl, but the only one who seems to notice her hair is really off is a young girl. So in 2023, Laura's costumes are the problem, but it looks like even back then in the Prairieverse in 1979, her costume was also the problem. And of course, our native representation in this episode is paper thin. After a pipe is passed around, we are told how these people have suffered and waited for a long time, and they're angry. And we're told that in perhaps fewer words than I just said. I know this whole dream of Albert's is influenced by the book that he's reading, so apparently that text doesn't mention at all of why the Native Americans would be upset. Another layer onto that is, which I said I wasn't going to point out, but it's so interwoven with everything else in this episode. Uh, the show's a depiction of the Native Americans. And I will confess, the whole scene where Laura earns her name Knothead from Albert, I was surprised by what made it on network television back in the day. And again, if that wasn't enough to add another layer on top of it all. No, it's not Michael Landon's white messiah complex. It's the chase at the end of the episode where Laura is firing off that rifle and those pursuing horses and having to watch them tumble and recover sometimes. 
This episode was a downward spiral. But even still, I managed to find a little house moment. And that moment goes to when Laura decides that her best plan is to give those horse reins to Albert, who is still in a crucified position so she can go execute the other half of her plan. That was when I can seriously say I was done with this episode. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. There were a number of times while viewing this episode where I wasn't sure if I was supposed to laugh or not. Was this episode supposed to be satirical or was it that awkward, nervous kind of laughter that sprung out? I'm still on the fence. This episode really, I would say, only warrants a viewing as one of those oddities or one of those things you hear about and you're just really curious and compelled to see it. Not one of those, it's so bad, it's good. That's a whole different category. This category are those things that you watch that remind us that yes, we have made some progress. So that is why we are going to give this episode, Halloween Dream, such a letdown, a two bonnet rating. Dream sequences in Little House on the Prairie should only be minutes long, not the entire episode. And that's just some of my feelings on that episode. And uh, always I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Instagram and Gmail is how you can reach me. As always, if you've enjoyed what you've been listening to, please feel free to leave a rating and a review on your platform of choice to help spread the word more on this Little House on the Prairie podcast. Next week, we wake from this nightmare into something I've been dreaming about. The return of Mr. Edwards. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.